Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Builders. Pastors Philip and Michelle Still are dedicated to building your faith and framing your world by the Word of God. There are many more resources available on our website, www.buildfaith.net, where you can find links to our audio and video archives. We also invite you to join us online for our live stream services. Remember to build your faith and frame your world by the Word of God. I want to um, take a moment and um, speak to us today about the power of God that's at work in us. And I'm going to ask you to join me in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And as you are turning there, I want to bring to a place of priority certain things about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are some things that are non-negotiable where our faith is concerned. One of the things that we see treated lightly sometimes, not by people of God, but by others, and even in religion, is the virgin birth. There are certain translations that have changed the word virgin to young girl, which doesn't mean the same thing. And it's a detriment to the faith of people because there is a reason we need to know Jesus was born of a virgin. We need to have faith that Jesus... His blood wasn't connected to the lineage of Adam who had a fallen bloodline, who had sin-tainted blood. Sin, sin contaminated the blood of every person born after Adam. But when Jesus was born, he was born without the assistance of Adam's blood. That's why the emphasis is on the fact that Jesus is the Word who was made flesh, God spoke the word to Mary, you shall conceive a son, his name shall be called Emmanuel, the government will rest upon his shoulders, all of the specific details of Jesus and who he is and what he would accomplish, they were spoken by God and received into Mary's heart and as a result of her faith, the Word entered into her womb and became flesh. Supernaturally, in the same way that God created the first Adam with His words, He created the second Adam, but He placed His second, His last Adam in the womb of a woman so that the Word coming through the womb and born as a man would be a legal redeemer. He had to be a kinsman redeemer. He had to be a man to legally redeem us, but he couldn't be a man born in Adam's lineage with Adam's sin in his blood. His blood had to be qualified to pay the price of our sin debt. So that's why we must believe the virgin birth. 
And we've got to have that specifically established in our belief system and not allow anything to tear that down or lessen the impact of the authenticity of the blood of Jesus Christ being the blood of God, being divine, being qualified to wash our sin away. Amen? Amen? In the same way, that's something I usually emphasize around Christmas, around the birth of the Lord Jesus, so that we, we continually have that every Christmas reinvigorated in our understanding that the virgin birth is important and this is why. In the same way, we are entering into a season to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there is an equal impact that must be established, an equal element of truth that is a game changer for us. In the power that God released when he raised Jesus from the dead and how that power works in us. And the Apostle Paul here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he gives that emphasis in this chapter. And I want us to begin here in the beginning of the chapter. We'll go ahead in verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received and wherein you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold fast or keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. For I, Now he's going to tell us what he preached that he's telling them they need to hold on to. He said, I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, According to scriptures, underline that, according to scriptures, he fulfilled the word in his sacrifice. Verse 4, and that he was buried. So not only is the preaching of the gospel an emphasis on he died for my sin, but there is an equal emphasis in that he was buried and that he rose again the third day. Not just that he died for our sin, but that he also rose from the dead. He was buried and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. There we have it again. A fulfillment of God's word in his resurrection. And that he was seen of Cephas, then of the twelve. After that he was seen of about... 500, above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. And that he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also as of one born out of due time. Now notice, this in verse 5, 6, and, and, five, six 7, and 8 is all verification or testimony that he rose from the dead. These are all people who physically saw him after he rose from the dead. That they were witnesses and many of them in the time of this writing to the Corinthian church, they were still alive to tell it. 
I saw him with my own two eyes, y'all. I was there. I saw him. Witnesses that he rose from the dead because there were a lot of witnesses that he died. But there was testimony to verify and to, uh, to bring that evidence of his being raised from the dead. Now, evidently, this had become a problem, an issue that it was beginning to slip in their believing of this element of the gospel because in this next section of this letter, we see the apostle Paul bringing them. It's like a, a cold water thrown on somebody who is, is sleepy. It's like somebody, this, this awakening, this wake up, you know, slap the face. Come on, man, get a hold of yourself. He's telling them, now, wait a minute, wait a minute. You can't let that part of your faith slip. You can't let this element of truth be cast aside and, and, and just kind of downplay that because it sounds out of the ordinary. He, he says, let's say in verse 12, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? You know, today we hear people say, well, healing is done away with. Healing is done away with. But they got to throw away half the Bible to, to say that. They've got to disregard. They've got to cast aside those things. My, my husband was in a conversation with someone over the weekend, and this person said, explain to me the Holy Spirit because someone had come to this person and said, well, the Holy Spirit, that's, he, he's, that's Old Testament. That, that's just the Bible. It's not happening in this real world today that the Holy Spirit's moving or Holy Spirit's doing anything. Well, in this day, they were telling them there is no resurrection from the dead. Jesus didn't resurrect from the dead. They were in their reasoning, in, in whatever unbelief, hardened heart, whatever it might have been, they were casting that element of the gospel aside. But it was a, a major part of what the apostle Paul had preached to them. He said, this is what I preached. You've got to hold it fast. I preached that, yes, he died for our sins, and I preached that he was buried and rose on the third day, and that's just as vital, and we're going to see why, that's just as vital to our faith as the fact that he died for our sins. He says in verse 13, if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ be not risen then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because all of these people I just listed have stood up and testified that they've seen him alive after he had died. He said that makes all of us liars. Right? It, we be found false witnesses of God because we've testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he raised not, if he raised not up, so be that uh, the dead, if it, if he's going back through this rumor again. So what you're telling me 
is that if there's no resurrection from the dead, what you're really saying is that Christ isn't raised from the dead, right? And if the dead rise not, then is Christ not raised? And if Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain and you are still in sin. Do you see the domino effect? So they were, they were taking something, not realizing the domino effect it was going to have on their faith. You're, what you're really saying is that none of us are redeemed. Wow. Yeah. Right? If Christ be not raised, because the scripture says he was raised for our justification. He was raised for our justification. So if Christ be not raised, nobody's justified. Then they also, which are fallen asleep in Christ, there, there's no hope for anyone who's already left this earth, right? <laughs> they, they, if, all of those who are fallen asleep, they're just perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable because the, the, real, the real connection to our hope is that when I, when I leave this body, I don't die, I have eternal life. I will be absent from the Lord, uh, absent from my body, but present with the Lord. Amen? So my hope goes beyond just this walking, talking, breathing life. Verse 20, but now is Christ risen from the dead and become the first fruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. Hallelujah. He said, Jesus is risen from the dead, and through him comes the resurrection power. Through him, we have that resurrection power. Verse 22, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Hallelujah. So this connection of our faith to the resurrection of Jesus, that's why I prefer the word resurrection Sunday over Easter Sunday. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but, but I, want, I want to emphasize what happened on this day we're celebrating. What happened on this day is that Jesus, this is the day, <laughs> this is the day that he raised from the dead. And listen, does Galatians 2.20 say that we are crucified with Christ? With Christ. So have, have you been on the cross with him? According to your faith, when Jesus was crucified, he did it for you. So when you believed on him, God sees you on the cross with him. You have been crucified with Christ. I've been on the cross. The old Michelle is dead. I'm not what I did. I'm not the number that used to be on the back of my name. I'm not all the things they said about me. I'm not the stories they told. I'm not the mistakes that I made. I have been, that woman is dead. She died on the cross. I have been crucified with Christ. I believe that. I believe that so much. I see myself in Christ on the cross. I see myself in him on the cross. As he hung there, Michelle was hanging there with him. Hallelujah. Well, Romans chapter 6 says that we've been buried with him. Have we been buried with him? The Bible says when we are baptized in water, that we are buried with him in the tomb. 
And that old person from the cross, that old person that died with Christ, crucified with Christ on the cross, we leave that old person buried in the grave and we resurrect. We do what? We resurrect. We are raised in the newness of life. Is that what it says? Let's go look at it. I want you to know where to find it so that you've got your coordinates. Evidence of where your tomb is. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Therefore we are buried with him. We're crucified with Christ. We are buried with him by baptism into death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead. Now we're about to make it personal. This is why you must believe in the resurrection and that you need to strengthen your faith, not just head knowledge. I, I want it to move beyond something you just know in your mind that you remember from a story or from a Bible lesson when you were in Sunday school. I want it to move into revelation. I have been crucified with Christ. I've been buried with him. And when I came up, I came up a new creature. I came up, raised up out of spiritual death. I am no longer dead in sin and trespass. I have been resurrected into the newness of life, the resurrection life. The life of God is what I've been raised up into. Hallelujah. It says, like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also, a proper grammatical interpretation would be we also have been raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father. That is accurate. Likewise, we also is indicating we also have been raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Hallelujah. And because we've been raised, we should walk in the newness of life. And a lot of people aren't walking in the newness of life because they don't have faith that they've been raised. They say, I'm just a sinner. And they're calling themselves sinner and they see themselves as sinner and they're walking as a sinner and they're talking like a sinner and they'll just excuse themselves. Well, you know, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Well, now hold on a minute. If you are, if you are crucified, buried, and resurrected, then you don't have to... Walk in the old you, you can walk in the new you. It says you're supposed to put off the old man with his corrupt lusts and, and deceitfulness. You're supposed to put that off, that corruption, and you're supposed to put on the new man. Be renewed in the mind and put on the new. Hallelujah. Well, the renewing of the mind is I've been raised from the dead. I'm not spiritually dead. I'm not a sinner. A sinner is a spiritually dead person. A person who is a sinner by nature is spiritually dead, but I'm not. You're not. If you've accepted Jesus as Lord, you are born again, and you are not by nature a sinner. Every human being has the capacity to sin, but I am now made a partaker of his divine nature 
if I sin, he is faithful and just to forgive me. If I will go confess my sin to him, he will wash me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. But by nature, I'm born of God. It says, you are born of God, little children. First John chapter 4. And greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Hallelujah. Here in chapter 6 of Romans, he says, verse 5, or let's, yeah, verse 5, for if we have been planted, or we could say buried, have we been buried? If we've been buried together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. If we've been buried, we've been raised with him. You can't be raised with him unless you've been dead and buried, right? But if we, if we are raised with him, verse 6 is the key, knowing this. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that from this moment forward, we should not serve sin. For he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ be raised from the dead, that Christ being raised from the dead dies no more. Death has no dominion over him. And if Jesus being raised from the dead is in a condition where death has no dominion over him, we being raised from the dead... Death has no dominion over us. That's why we can know that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord because eternal life is ours now. So even though physical death, should the Lord tarry and we go by way of the grave, we won't spiritually die. We may leave our body, but we won't die because we are already recipients of eternal life. Hallelujah. Now, he says in verse 11, likewise, likewise, which means in this same way, in this same way, you need to reckon. Reckon is a term that indicates an accounting. If you reconcile your bank account, y'all still do that? We, I know we got a lot of online banking, but it's still a good thing to reconcile to make sure that everything that has been debited is recorded, everything that's been deposited has been recorded, and then you compare the debits to the deposits and you find out the result. Right? So that's what he's telling us here. That there's some reconciling we need to do with this dead, buried, and raised is concerned. That we need to reconcile. Okay, let me, let me start reconciling this equation. Let me look and say, yes, I am dead, crucified with, with Christ. The old Michelle is no longer active and operative. She has been crucified with Christ on the cross and then buried with him 
in the tomb and I rose up in Christ in the power. I've got to reconcile that. Well, I'm looking for my result. I'm looking for the end result. After all these debits and after all these deposits, what do I have left? Well, after all of this deposit that Jesus has made in crucifixion, crucified for me, buried, raised for me, I come out with the newness of life. I come out seeing myself free from sin. I come out seeing myself free from the power of the curse. I come out seeing myself free from the fear of death. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So our ability to walk in this newness of life results from our reconciling this truth. We've got to reconcile it. That's why you've got to let the scriptures, not just the head knowledge, you've got to feed on the scriptures that talk about Jesus being raised from the dead. You need it in your spirit, not just in your head. Because we're looking for more than head knowledge can do for us. We're looking for faith. And faith is when we put the word in our heart that just as Jesus was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, Monique has been raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Chastity has been raised from the dead by the glory of the Father. Amen? You, we begin to personalize this, this supernatural power at work in Christ being at work in us and we reconcile and we see that I am no longer dead in sin and trespasses but I am alive unto God. I am alive. I am a child of of God, born of God, and his life is working in me every day. Even when I get up in the morning and, and I'm still trying to, to wipe the sleep out of my eyes, I see that God is working in me. His power is at work in my life. Hallelujah. That reconciling gives us the ability to walk in this. Amen? Now, I want to identify from Romans chapter 5 exactly what we're talking about when we're talking about death. Because death has never been a part of God's design for our lives. Romans 5 and verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for that all have sinned. What is this death that he is referring to that entered by sin? Can we go back and look in Genesis? Let's go to the beginning and let, let the picture be clear. Genesis chapter 2 verse 15 and the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat of it. For in the day you eat thereof you shall surely die. Die. In the original Hebrew language, it is a word that is plural. It is not singular. It looks singular in King James in English. But if you go back and look, the, the phrase in the Hebrew that's more accurate is 
In dying, you shall die. It is a word that speaks of two deaths, not just one. In dying, you will die. Well, did they physically die the moment they ate the fruit of the tree? Physically? No, it goes on to say that Adam lived 930 years. God had so created the human body to be, uh, to be immortal, to live with the life in, in them. He had created the body to live for so long. It took 930 years for Adam's body to die. But did Adam die the moment he ate the fruit of the tree? He died the more dangerous death the more serious condition of spiritual death that was a separation from God. So we've got to renew our mind because the word spiritual death does not mean a cessation of life, to cease to exist. That's not what it means. And a lot of people have that idea. It's an end of life. It's not an end because everybody will live forever somewhere. It's not an end. It's not an end. Everyone will live forever somewhere. We have this opportunity in this earth walk to choose life with God. Life. Life. To choose life with God. Spiritual death is to be separated from the life of God. It was never God's plan for us. God never, ever designed that we would be separated from him for one moment of our, our lives. God created Adam and Eve with the life of God in them. But he warned them that if you eat the fruit of this tree, in dying, you shall die. And so what we saw in Romans was that through their sin... Death entered. It was spiritual death. And because of the spiritual death, the physical death followed it. The physical death was an, a, a, a secondary result of the spiritual death. Now let's look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 4. We know that Satan... In the serpent is tempting Eve. And he says, in this temptation, a complete opposite of what God has said. God said, if you eat the fruit of the tree, in dying you shall die. And so he has gotten Eve to a place in the conversation that he totally denies and negates what God has said. And he says in verse 4, you shall not surely die. No, 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 that's not what's going to happen. Nah. Nah. No, that's not what's going to happen. God just doesn't want you to have all that's attached to that tree. God didn't want them to experience the death that was attached to that tree. The knowledge of evil. And when the, it, when the woman saw, verse 6, that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes 
and a tree to be desired to make one wise. You know, the Bible says that in this world, all that there is is the pride of life, the pride of the eyes, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. Here they are right here. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband with her and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened. And they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And when they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said, where are you? He said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree whereof I commanded you that you should not eat? And we know the story. He goes on to begin blaming Eve. And Eve blames the serpent and the serpent. And then God explains to them the repercussions of what they've done. But in the moment that they ate the fruit of the tree, there was an inward change. An inward change that caused them to see things they wouldn't have seen if they had kept their glory on. To know things they weren't supposed to know that God was protecting them from. Hallelujah. You could say that the eyes of them both were blinded in reality because it wasn't open to anything that was, that was beneficial for them. They were seeing without glory eyes. They were seeing without spiritual light. They, they had died spiritually and now they're seeing everything through the vision of spiritual death. That's why when a person receives Jesus Christ as Lord, inside they change immediately. And they many times will say, I'm, I just feel so free. I just feel so excited. Why? Because you're seeing life through life. You're seeing your life through spiritual eyes, spiritual living eyes, not the spiritual dead eyes we were walking around in before Christ. So that change that takes place inwardly when life enters us in receiving Jesus Christ as Lord, because Adam, when he sinned, every person born after him was born in that condition and requiring a savior. This is the reason Jesus came. And this is the reason that he died for our sins, but he didn't just die for our sins. What else did he do? He rose from the dead. Because if he didn't raise from the dead, where's our hope to rising out of spiritual death into this life? If he didn't raise from the dead, from spiritual death to spiritual life, did Jesus on the cross say in one moment, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew what he was doing before he went to the cross. He knew that he would become, he was laying down his life, he was going to die, but if we only see that he died physically, we're missing the element of our being raised from the dead spiritually. Yeah, 
When Jesus became sin on the cross, he became sin. He never sinned, but in a moment, all of the sin of mankind was placed upon him. And by faith, he received that sin into his spirit and he became sin. And then he said, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was such, it was such a drastic change in his life when the spiritual life became spiritual death. Hallelujah. He said, you will not suffer your Holy One to see corruption. He was innocent, but became sin. Went down to suffer our punishment in hell. Jesus suffered in hell, the punishment I deserved in hell. The punishment we deserved in hell, he went in our place and took it. And then God raised him. The resurrection power. <clears throat> Before we leave Adam and Eve, Look at verse 22 and see the mercy of God. The Lord God said, Behold, the man is become as one of us to know good and evil. And now, lest he put forth his hand and take of the tree of life and eat and live forever, that therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. So he drove out the man and he placed at the east of the Garden of Eden cherubims and a flaming sword which turned every way to keep the way of the tree of life. Why did he do that? Because he did not want mankind to live forever in this fallen state, in this spiritually dead condition. So to, to protect them from having to be in that situation eternally, he took them out of the garden. He closed the way to the tree of life until he could bring salvation to us. Isn't he full of mercy? Oh, the mercy of God. The mercy of God to protect us. Hallelujah. And that's what he did in Jesus. He brought eternal life to us legally through our Redeemer. Let's go back to Romans 5. Hallelujah. And let's look at verse 14 and 15. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of the one that was to come, not as the offense, so, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. Now that's not very clear for me in King James. So I'm going to ask if we can see Verse 15 in the Amplified. Not as the offense, so also is the free gift. The Amplified helps us here. But God's free gift is not at all to be compared to the trespass. Think about that. In Christ, our salvation, 
God's free gift is so much greater. It is so off the chart above the fall of what Adam did, the, the, the result of what Adam's fall did. His grace is out of all proportion to the fall of man. It's like way down here is what Adam did in the fall, but way up there, and you can't even fit it on the same chart. It is off the top. God's free gift. For if many died through one man's falling away, his lapse, his offense, his sin, much more profusely did God's grace and the free gift that comes through the undeserved favor of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound and overflow to and for the benefit of many. So it's so far off the chart in comparison. What Jesus did for us in Christ. What God did for us in Christ is so much more than what, what happened when Adam fell. Hallelujah. It says, for if through the, th that this has abounded to us. Amen. Verse 17. For if by one man's offense, death reigned by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness, we shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. The word reign means to exercise kingly power, kingly dominion. We exercise the dominion in Christ. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. How do we do that? Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you how to bring it home to you and bring it into your life. Ephesians 1. How do I exercise this dominion of this resurrection life? How do I walk in this life, force this resurrection power that's at work in me? Well, God gave us a, a, a Holy Spirit-inspired prayer for us to use. Ephesians chapter 1, verse, let's begin in 17. <clears throat> that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Now, He wants us to have this wisdom and revelation because there are some things that we need to see that we can't see without the wisdom and the revelation that the Holy Spirit brings to our, our heart. He says that in this prayer that we would have this wisdom and revelation as we grow in the knowledge of Him, the eyes of our understanding being enlightened so that we can know some things. Number one, that we can know what is the hope of His calling. <laughs> what the riches... Number two, the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. We haven't even begun to see that. Most believers don't have anything more than a, a minimal understanding of what belongs to them as an heir of God. And they think they're going to get it when we all get to heaven. I, and I, I look forward... But I'm not waiting for my inheritance because that's backwards. 
Amen? The inheritance is, the, is ours now. But number three, there's, this is something we need to know that we can't know with just natural, with natural means of learning it or natural, I'm saying natural means. There, there's a spiritual learning taking place right now where I'm saying something, but the Holy Spirit is infusing my words and he is in your heart infusing your hearing with light so that it's not just what I say, but it's what the Holy Spirit is saying. It's not just what you hear, but it's what the Holy Spirit is helping you hear. So there's a spiritual learning coming on right now, but I'm talking about just that natural, natural means won't get across to us what we need to know. What is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us who believe? The exceeding greatness of his power that works in us who believe. So as believers, there's a power <coughs> that we need wisdom and revelation to know so that we can operate it. He wants us to know this. And so the Holy Spirit inspired this prayer that you can pray for yourself. You can pray it for your family. You can begin to pray, Lord, that I would know. Give me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of you. And un open the eyes of my understanding with light so that I can know what is the exceeding greatness of your power towards me. I'm a believer. I believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked when he raised Jesus from the dead, which he wrought in Christ, which he worked in Christ when? When he raised Jesus from the dead. Amen. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Glory, to God. Glory to God. This is the power that's at work in us. This is the power that's at work in you. This is the power, it's at work in us, but we need to be able to spiritually see it and understand it for it to be operative in us. Hallelujah. It's the power that he worked when he raised Jesus from the dead, but it's at work in us right now. <coughs> now, I want to go through, and I've, I've shared this before, but I've, it's been a while, so I'm going to share it again. There is so much that the Holy Spirit had to load this one verse with so many different words to try to get across to us what is at work in us because of the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. It begins in this first word, power, in verse 19, the exceeding greatness of His power. This word is the word dunamis. That means inherent ability or potential the power that is stored within something if you have a battery for instance or, or the battery on your phone the it will tell you how many hours worth of battery is stored up is there is a potential for eight hours of battery life that's the inherent power stored up or available but then, the word working is another word that talks of power. 
The exceeding greatness of his dunamis, his inherent power towards us who believe according to the working. This word is the word energia, energy, and it speaks of the outward or the overt power, the displayed power. So you could see someone who is coming into the gym and you, you look at those biceps and you, you see the inherent power. You see the power stored up in those biceps. But then he loads up the bar and begins to bench press and you see the, the working of that power. You see the, the energia, the, the working of that power. And then the word mighty. The word mighty is the power the, that's called kratos. It's ruling power. Ruling power. So it says, the exceeding greatness of his inherent stored power towards us who believe according to the display the, the um, outward expression of that ruling power, that dominion, that kratos. And then this last word is power as well, but it's a whole different word. We've had four words that in the original language mean power. Dunamis, energia, kratos, and then this last word is the endowed power. Power that's been delegated. God delegated all power. Jesus said, all power in heaven and earth has been given unto me. So there's ruling power. There's delegated endowed power. There is the dunamis potential power. There is the display of that power. And he said all of God's power was at work when he raised Christ from the dead. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <clears throat> there was a day when all of God's contained power, all of his demonstrated power, all of his ruling power, all of his endowed power were released. What was that day? It was the day that God raised Jesus from the dead, the day that God raised Irma from the dead, the day that God raised Pat from the dead. Hallelujah. Psalm chapter 8, when God created the universe... It refers to that display of power as the work of his fingers. Verse 3 of Psalm 8. That was the work of God's fingers. God said, I just needed enough. This is all the power I needed to create the stars and the suns and the planets. This is all the power that I needed. But then when it says he delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, how did he do that? He, by the strength of his hand, Exodus 13, 14 says. By the strength of his hand. So by the, he, he, he put his whole hand into bringing them out. But then when it came to our salvation, when it came to raising us out of spiritual death and into a spiritual life where we can live forever in unity and in relationship with God. The Bible says in Isaiah 52.10 that the Lord has made bare His holy 
arm. It wasn't just the work of his fingers. It wasn't just the power in his hand. But he took all of his inherent power. He took all of his power on display. He took all of his ruling power. His dominating power. His delegated endowed power. And he said I'm going to release all of my power to raise you. To raise you. To raise you as I raise Christ. Hallelujah. And the Bible says the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in, lives in, and abides in you and I. We are walking, talking containers and distributors of the resurrection power of God. And he said we need to have the wisdom and the revelation knowledge so that we can know what is the exceeding greatness of his power towards us, working in us, helping us overcome, helping us claim our children out of the darkness and into the light, helping us stand against poverty, helping us stand against destruction and to release the will of God into our situation. If we know who we are, if we know what we've got, there are no limits to what God can do in our lives. Hallelujah. 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 That's why God says you're more than a conqueror through Him. But we've got to know it. We've got to know it. We've got to know that we know it. We've got to know it and walk in it. He says we should walk in the resurrection power of life. Walk in the newness of life. That means every day I'm walking in resurrection power. I'm walking. I'm releasing that resurrection power. Hallelujah. 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 The power is present to heal. If you're sick in your body, come and we will exercise the power. Come from where you are. We will exercise the power. Hallelujah. Come from where you are. The power of the Lord is present to heal. The power of the Lord is present to set free.